The gang returns. It's the 206 with tons to talk about with Michael Bumpus, Bill Cougar. I'm Tom Glasgow. And Bill, let's get right into it. As we record, you are on double duty. We appreciate it. In the Root Sports uh, building, you just wrapped up the pregame show for a Mariners team that has really turned things around. A week ago Sunday, they'd lost six straight. They've now won seven of eight, but they got some tough news today regarding Kyle Lewis, that troublesome right knee, bites him again, a small meniscus tear. He goes on the injured list, Bill. How concerned should we be about this injury and this ongoing uh, situation with Kyle's right knee? Well, I I don't think we should be too concerned about the injury. Uh, The meniscus tear is a uh, repair. I'm going to assume, of course, I'm not a doctor, but I might play one, uh, you know, because I stayed at a Hollywood and Holiday Inn Express. But uh, and nonetheless, uh, I think we're looking at arthroscopic surgery, low risk, high, high, high results. Uh, we're talking four weeks, four to six. You know, we're talking after the All-Star break. That's what I think we're looking at. But he's going to return 100% and be the player that he was. Absolutely. And it could be that this has been a lingering problem for him. You never know. Uh, these things have a tendency to kind of creep up and creep up. And eventually they get to the point where you just can't go. And then something has to happen. Something has to be done. I don't think a rehab is what's going to happen here. Uh, just, you know, that's just my call on it. It's a blow because this team struggles to find offense. You know, you add Ty France. We're excited about that. He's been doing a great job since his return. And then you lose Kyle Lewis. And you can't expect Jake Fraley and uh, Taylor Trammell to pick up the slack. They just have to go out and try to fit in. You know, get a big hit here and there. Try to get on base. Play good defense. Don't make mistakes. And you're just going to have to hope you know, that the whole is going to be greater than the sum of the parts. And you know, the, the, they're going to have to play good defense, which uh, they've been a little bit off their game there the last couple of days. But uh, this is a team that's on a nice roll that has a lot of confidence in close games. And uh, hopefully that'll continue. They can play close. Hey, Bill, when it comes to, to football, we're encouraged to play with that injury. Now, is Kyle Lewis not encouraged to play because it's such a long season? You think if they were they were closer to the end of the year, he'd probably suck it up and trying to play? Yeah, that could be. That could be. You know, uh, it depends on pain threshold, right? I mean, it's uh, one of those things where, yeah, you can play through it, uh, but if you can nip this thing in the bud right now, uh, you've got, you know, an all-star break coming up uh, that's going to give him another week. That happens right, uh, you know, the, set, the beginning of the second week of July. So I think there's – some it's 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 not if there's any good timing that that would be it but rather than have it linger on because you know you still got another even with that being said you still have a whole second half to play and 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 my sense is that it's going to get worse rather than get better uh if he tries to play on it so i i think that the surgery is is the call here and like you said uh there's more baseball there's a longer season so that that's probably the smart play Hey, Bill, final topic. We'll let you get back to work. It's what everybody's talking about, of course. Um, uh, Tom Murphy's possessed eyes. Now, everybody is talking about that. But I want to ask you about Jared Kelnick. And I want to go back to something that you and I spoke about when he was called up. And that was to be uh, expected some struggles offensively. He's hitting a buck 18. Uh, I, I think a fair portion of this has been bad luck. He doesn't seem as if he's completely overmatched. But for Mariner fans who are concerned about Jared 18 games in to his big league season, um, what are your thoughts on this? And how do you handle a young player? I don't know that he's ever faced anything like this playing baseball at any level because he's been that damn good. 
I think it's 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 a shock to his system to a guy that's probably dominated everything every part of uh, the game since he was young, and he certainly was dominant in the minor leagues. But you got to remember a couple of things. Number one, it's his first dip the toe in the water as a very young age in the big leagues, and it's a whole big giant step from the minor leagues. And then you have to add in the fact that there really wasn't a baseball season last year. He played scrimmages in Tacoma. Then you go to spring training and then spring training ends. You got five weeks of, uh, Hey, let's play some pickup ball down in Arizona. Hey, a couple brewers, couple A's, Hey, maybe a college kid or two. We'll play a game. And then he plays one week in Tacoma, hits a home run, two home runs the first game. And then he's up in the big leagues. And that just isn't exactly the path. Baseball is a volume of games, a volume of the bats, a rhythm. And his system was going to be shocked by how much better the pitching is up here anyway. His luck hasn't been particularly good. I think he's tried a little too hard to be, you know, the next Mike Trout. And so, uh, you know, I think maybe uh, he's going to have to realize some things. Uh, and you can't make adjustments that rapidly when you're faced with the next day being in the lineup and the next day being in the lineup. You kind of have to keep rolling it out there. Um, so I think for Mariner fans, temper your worry. This guy's going to be a really good player. He can run. He's going to hit. Hey, look, Willie Mays went back to the minors. Mickey Mantle went back to the minors. I mean, this isn't any, anything new for, like, great players. So he's going to be a good player. Hopefully he can get, you know, a blooper to drop in, a couple ground balls to get through, and suddenly he's got a little bit of rhythm. Get him out of the leadoff hit spot, which they've done now tonight, which was a good move. Put him down on the order and, and let him be a complimentary player there. And, and uh I don't think there's anything to really truly worry about. And this team is building for the future. I know that's a tired statement, but um, his, his future is way ahead of him. All right, Billy. Hey, appreciate it, buddy. We'll let you get to your, uh, your day job, your <laughs> real job. And we'll talk to you again next week. Okay. Right. See you guys. Thanks. See you, Bill. Hey, Bump, I want to, I want to pick up just on this overall uh, theory when it comes to, um, you know, all athletes reach a point where the, the struggle becomes real. So um, I wanted to, let's, let's talk about how you dealt with that. Um, there's a transition from high school to college. You were an exceptional college athlete, but that last jump is the biggest jump, in your case, to the NFL. For Jared Kelnick, to Major League Baseball, and anybody who's done what you guys have done, I'll tell you, you know, it, it, it far outshadows any other leap in terms of uh, the type of uh, athletes you're competing against. So how did you specifically deal with that when you, you realize like, man, this, this is a whole different deal, the NFL. Yeah, it's tough. You're right. It's a, it's a different deal. And from any level, from college basketball to the NBA, baseball, AAA to the majors. And you talk about in my incidents or in my case, football to the NFL, you realize real quickly there's only about 1% who are like the elite of the elite. And now you're in a pack of wolves, man. And the guys are mentally tougher. They're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Some guys have more experience. And you really got to figure out who you are and be okay with that. And I think that's kind of what Kelly has to do right now. He has to figure out who he is and be okay with that. We know he's confident. We know he's going to be aggressive at the plate. But I'm talking about like your day-to-day. You know, how, how do you handle going from the clubhouse home? What are you doing at home? What exercises are you doing for your brain, for your physical? There's a lot that goes on in between games that people don't really realize that affects his performance. So um, he's playing a mental battle right now, but I think he'll be okay. If there's one thing he doesn't lack, it's confidence. Yeah. The mental battle for you, how'd you handle that? 
you know, when you're, you're fighting to make a, a club, you go from college star to a guy just trying to hang on to, to a roster. Was it difficult to keep self-doubt out? Was some of that self-doubt uh, reasonable, understandable? I mean, how, how did you process that? Well, you got to look at, you got to find what you think reality is, right? And reality for me was, okay, I'm like the fifth or sixth receiver on this roster. How many receivers are they going to carry? Maybe five or six. Now, what can I do to separate myself from six, seven, and eight? You know, I got to get on special teams. I, I have to be the greatest blocking receiver in practice because most of my reps, I'm just blocking anywhere. They're going to save all the good <laughs> plays for the veterans. So it, it's kind of figuring out where, where you fit in the team and what your role can be. Now, if your role, if it looks like your role isn't going to uh, be in, in a place where you make the team, now you're like, okay, what, what can I do? Who can I beat out? Who's in front of me? So it's sizing people up, man, sizing them up and trying to fill a void on a football team. What did, what did you learn, Michael, from both your successes and your struggles that you used in your day-to-day -day dealings when you were the head football coach at Monroe High School? You know, you're dealing with young men. They're not all going to be high school stars. For the bulk of them, they're never going to play college football. They're just trying to, to excel at that level and, and enjoy, you know, every day. Enjoy the practices. Enjoy the games. Just make it a positive experience. What, what were your big takeaways that you used in coaching um your youngsters when you did and and i know you worked uh, you know seven on seven at, at this time dealing with those kids yeah honestly tom it's just man it's being okay with the situation you're in right not looking too far ahead not looking behind and being in that moment because if you're in the past you're not in that moment if you're so focused on Thursday and it's Wednesday, you're not in that moment. So how can you set yourself up for success if you're not truly in that moment? Now, even when you fail in that moment, you're still in it. You can still learn from it. When you have success, you in it and you learn. So it's just being present. I think we hear that term all the time when it comes to sports and coaches. That's what they say about Pete Kill, right? He's present. He's in that moment with you. I've done over 40 interviews with Pete Carroll and every time He's in that moment. He's not worried about tomorrow. He's worried about what his guys are today and how he can communicate that with you. So it's just being present, man. It's a cliche. You're going to hear it all the time. But what better time than now? I'm, I'm in the moment on, on the pod right now with my guy, Tom. So I'm, I'm trying to be in this moment. I'm glad you are. Uh, hey, since you mentioned Pete, how, how, how many moments does he want to spend in his future this upcoming season with Julio Jones, right? So let, let's talk about this a little bit, because for me, Mike, I, I can come up with many more reasons why this will not happen versus yeah. why it might. I'm curious where, where you are on this. You know, over the weekend, it's it's ESPN saying the Hawks are front runners. That is now, you know, backtracked. Now, now they've talked to the Falcons. And, and we know, look, John Schneider, the GMP, Carol, they, they're, they say, we're in on everything. They check out everything going on around the NFL. What are the odds we see Julio Jones as a Seahawk next season? I think it's tough. You got to look at money, right? It's all about the money. They only have $7 million in the salary cap space. Um, you only have so many footballs to go around. I, I heard Dave Wyman earlier today. He said DK had about 150-something targets and Lockett was around 140-something targets. The next guy was David Moore, who had 40-something targets. So you got you to take some targets from DK, from Lockett, to get it to that third receiver. I just don't know if he's okay with that. I think Julio thinks he's still a number one receiver. 
And I think on most teams, he is a number one receiver. So the likelihood of it happening, I think it goes down with every day. Then you hear the 49ers getting into the conversation. They have $21 million in cap space. It's not looking too hot for the Seahawks. But me, I'm on the other side of the deal. A lot of people are saying, oh, you don't need to do it. Me, I'm saying do it. Do whatever you can. Because honestly, you have a quarterback who might not want to be here. Your window's closing with Pete Carroll. He has maybe two or three seasons left. Everyone out here is afraid of the rebuild. Everyone has a rebuild. Unless you are the Green Bay Packers and the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're going to have a rebuild. So, man, throw all your chips on the table and go all in. But that's just me. And we're talking about receivers. You know, I got a soft spot for those I, guys. I know you do. But, okay, you talked about Julio maybe not being uh, happy if he had to take fewer uh, targets as a Seahawk. But what about DK and Tyler losing targets? Now, how are they going to process that? Especially, you know, DK, where, I mean, we know his career is like trending up. He, there, there's a whole lot more there, and we've already got we already get a lot out of him. How do you think those guys would react to Julio Jones coming in? Would they view it as a, a huge positive for the offense? Uh, individually, I don't think so. I think if anybody, Tyler Lockett is the one to be like, all right, man, let's come join the team. You know, if I'm DK Metcalf, forget what everyone says. Every athlete has an ego, and DK has an ego. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's bad in the locker room or is not a good teammate, but he has an ego and he has proven like, look, I'm one of the top eight receivers in this league right now. We don't need this guy. And now if he comes over, he's taking uh, targets away from me. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily happy, but now if they're thinking about the team and they're thinking about how this makes them even more explosive, then I think you buy in, but you have to be selfish as an athlete. Sometimes if you're not selfish, you're not going to have as much success as a guy who is, a bit selfish. So I wouldn't be mad at, D at DK. I'm sure he feels some type of way, but big picture, he helps the football team. In the short term, he might help development of some guys around him. All right. I'm with you. I agree with you 100%. All right. Uh, last week, I'm listening to various uh, sports talk in, in Seattle, and, and for many, the, the world was ending because no Seahawks showed up for OTAs yeah. while with the Rams... Cardinals and 49ers, the bulk of their veterans did. So with them, OTAs, with the Seahawks, no TAs. So <laughs> how how important was this uh, no-show? And why did the Seahawks players take this approach? It seems very un-Seahawk player-ish based on uh, how they have responded to Pete Carroll and you know using each day as an opportunity to get better. It's why didn't guys show up because of leadership, because Russell didn't show up. Bobby didn't show up. I saw KJ was in Miami celebrating something with his wife. Um, the, the leaders, the old leaders say, look, we're just not going to do it. And does it affect this team? I think it does. People are going to look at the 49ers and the Rams and say, look at these numbers. Look at what they're doing. You also have to realize the Rams have a new quarterback, a bunch of new coaches. Guys want to get acclimated. They want to kind of feel what's going on there. And with the 49ers, Everyone's happy to get a, get a look at Trey Lance. Like the situations are different. You have the most established team in the in the division. It's the Seahawks, right? Both sides of the ball. There hasn't been big changes when it comes to leadership on the field. That's why guys haven't been showing up. Is it going to affect them? I think it is, but not in the way that people think. How, do you, think guys, it, how do you think it will? I think it's going to take them a week or two extra to click the way they would if they had OTAs. But these guys are professionals, and you're not relying on rookies. If you had a rookie quarterback, rookie receivers, rookie on the offensive line, bunch of rookies on defense or second-year guys on defense, then you'd be like, you would press the issue. Like, look, we need to be there. 
But I think at some point, these guys know how to prepare. It's not like they're sitting at home doing nothing, not looking at the playbook, not working out. Yes, chemistry is important. But when the main pieces are put in place already, I don't think it's, it's as urgent. And I think these guys are preparing and taking care of their bodies, getting ready to go. Well, I've never I don't recall reaching the final week or two of an NFL regular season when a team either clinches a postseason berth or gets knocked out of one. And the, the first thing that's brought up is their participation in OTAs. <laughs> it doesn't come up, right? I, I will say this, though, because the Rams came to Seattle and kicked the Seahawks ass in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And if they put a beat down on the Seahawks in their first meeting next season, this is going to be a bad look. Yeah, it's just going to be it's just going to be a bad look. I'm not going to say it's why. And if the Seahawks blow out the Rams in their first meeting, then it doesn't matter. But it, it just it just sets the players up to have to explain themselves if things go haywire. It gives guys like me and you a lot to talk about. Yeah, and get, it's, it's storylines and grateful. You know, it, it's, it's like it's like the state saying you don't have to wear masks anymore. But if you don't walk in a store with a mask, people are going to look at you funny. It's just the yeah. optics is like, you know, do you really care? That's what it comes down to. The, exactly. It's the optics. It's the optics. So um, anyway, it, it, that'll just OTAs are going to for the first time, I think, be an yes. issue, at least early in the season for the Seahawks. If things go well or they don't, some somebody's going to bring it up. Uh, hey, before we before we put the wraps on this, that's kind of a great time to, to be a Seattle sports fan, right? So you've got, um, you know, the Mariners got a little turnaround going right now. You yep. know, they're going to dip again and they're going to rise again. It's the nature of a major league season. Yep. Um, you've got tomorrow, you've got the uh, NHL draft lottery. Seattle Kraken, prominent in that, a chance to get the first overall pick in the uh, entry draft. So that's cool. Um Seattle Storm off to a five and one start. I mean, the defending WNBA champions and Michael, lo and behold, like a bombshell from this team over the weekend, head coach Dan Hughes announces his retirement effective immediately. Noel Quinn, the associate head coach, gets the gig, not an interim. She's the new head coach. Good for her. The first black head coach in franchise history. Um you know, uh, first of all, Dan Hughes has had a remarkable career. We want, we wish him the best. We hope it's not health related. Yeah. He did have a cancer diagnosis a couple of years ago. No indication of that. So that that's a positive, but um, you know, I think when you have a Sue bird leading your team on the court, you can, you can make a transition like this. And uh, by all accounts, Noel Quinn is beyond ready for this opportunity. It'll be fascinating to see how the storm move forward after this news. Yeah. Right. You, Mid-season, not even mid-season, right? First half or first quarter of the yeah. season, you get news like this. We're hoping that it's not doesn't have anything to do with, with his health. Um, but sometimes coaches think they can do it one more time, two more times, and you get in a situation, you're like, you know, this is just a lot. You know, you don't know what's going on at home. You don't know what relationships are like with the front office. There are a lot of things that it could be. Hopefully it was just, you know what, I'm tired. I just don't feel like doing this anymore. But you make a good point. They could have just made Sue Bird the first player coach in the WNBA history. And I think they would have been just fine. But I'm happy for the associate head coach to get it, get her a chance. Um, but yeah, very shocking. I, I was not prepared for that. I, I just found out when before we hopped on the, the podcast, what yeah. happened. Well, look, no Noel Quinn's a former um player for the storm collegiately at UCLA. So kind of down in your neck of the woods, Southern California, LA area. So 
Um, we'll, we'll see how she does. You, you know, you, when you mentioned Sue Bird as a possible player coach, I immediately flash back to my youth. You weren't even around, but, um, you know, for longtime Sonic fans like yours truly, many people may not know that for a time, Lenny Wilkins was yeah. actually the Sonics player head coach, yep. best player head coach. He did that briefly, if my memory's correct, also with the Portland Trailblazers. He had gone there simply to be the head coach. They had some injury issues, so Lenny decided to suit up again. Um, and it raises, it just raises a fascinating scenario. Will we ever see a player coach again, in whether it's the NBA, WNBA, any sport? I think if we see it now, it, it'd have to be LeBron, because he's the only guy who I could see playing at 40 something in the NBA and being a head coach. I think Tom Brady could do it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think they want to do it either. Yeah. I think they enjoy just being the best of what they do and not having to deal with all the other stuff that head coaches have to do. You mentioned Brady. Is there a way he could signal in his own play from the sideline to himself on the, I'm confusing everybody. <laughs> all right, bump. Always good stuff, man. Hope the family's well. We'll talk again next week. Good stuff. All right, man. Talk to you soon.